you would go ahead and turn to Psalm 93. And if you don't have your Bible with you, we have pew Bibles available for you. Uh, they should be read right there in front of you. So go ahead and you can grab one of those. If you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, let us know. We'd be glad to get you a Bible. Um, you can take that one with you that, that, that you grabbed, or you can find me and I'll get you one. Um, but we want you to have a copy of God's Word. Psalm 93, if you're new to this whole reading the Bible thing, is right in the middle. Uh, Psalms, you just open the, take your Bible, put your finger in the middle. You should be in the book of Psalms. And it starts with a P, not an S. Kind of different, but in case you're new to this, we want you to know where you're going. 923? 33. 933 in the Pew Bible. We, 932. We might start including that, including the, uh, the, the page so that you can find it more easily. Well, this sermon this morning was supposed to tie into our vacation Bible school that was supposed to be starting tonight, um, but I've already told you what happened. And by the way, one more thing about all this, you're going to hear me cough, maybe, and here's what I've been told, okay, because some of y'all are like, this guy's lying, all right, he doesn't want to miss a Sunday. Um, so I'm good to go with my antibiotics, but I was told that I'm, I may cough for another week or two, okay, so just so you're aware, you don't have to be weirded out by it, okay, so I may cough, but that's just part of it. Well, this was supposed to go with our vacation Bible school that was supposed to start tonight, but as we know, things change, right? And really, there's a saying that says the only thing constant in this life is change. And life usually feels that way, right? Does it feel like change is just always happening in your life? I look at my little kids, and I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and for me, I want them to stay that age forever because they're precious, but every day they do something different, right? They do something new, they do something funny, and I say, when did... You know, I walked, I walked in over there today, and, and Evangeline had crawled all, real quickly over to the other room, and she had, just in, in a second, had crawled up onto the little bench that goes with our dining room table and was standing on that bench. Well, she's not even quite walking yet. I mean, she's just taking a few steps, but she can crawl up onto a bench and be standing on it where she could fall. And I say, when did she learn how to do that? Because things are always changing. A lot has changed maybe for you in this past year. Has a lot changed for you in the past year? Okay, maybe for you, um, you we, we lost our pastor, right? And our pastor, um, we were without a pastor for a while. And so for you, you're like, I was just getting used to this guy. And now all of a sudden he's gone. And then you go six months without a pastor. And you're like, I was just getting used to not having a pastor. Now we got to deal with this guy. <laughs> um, and so the, the, these changes are happening. And you're like, maybe we should go without a pastor for longer. I don't know how you feel about that. Hopefully not. Maybe for you, though, you've gone through a time of financial gain or financial loss. Maybe for you, a spouse has passed away. Maybe for you, your children have moved out. Or maybe you're the kid, you're the child, and you're moving out. Whatever it is, you started a new job. There's all kinds of things that are going to be changing or have changed for you, maybe even in the past year. And it is intimidating to us to think about the fact that things change constantly. Because if you're like me, Sarah and I were talking about a situation in our life last night, and I come to this realization every few months, I said, I really like to be in control of everything, don't I? Like, I just need to like, like to have everything locked down where it can't get away from me and I know what's happening. And she said, well, yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was a revelation for me, and I have this revelation, like I said, every few months. And I say, maybe I have a control issue where I just want my life, I want to be in control of my life. And she said, yeah, you do. And maybe for you, you're like that. You want to know that nothing's going to change in your life. And for us, we try and we try and we try to make sure that things don't change. They always stay the same. That's why we're nostalgic for the good old days, right? That's why there's all these TV shows now that are coming out recently that are, that are set 
a few decades ago. One that's huge right now on Netflix is Stranger Things, and it's based in the 80s, and people love it on one level just because it's set in the 80s. And it's, it's so captured that nostalgia. We don't want things to change. But in a lot of ways, for us, we try and we try and we try, but it's a futile struggle. But church, the truth we're going to see in the psalm this morning is this, that we have a God who never changes. He's the king of the past, the king of the present, and he is the king of the future. And for a lot of us, that's maybe difficult for us to wrap our minds around, even harder for us to wrap our hearts around. Because for us, we think and we say, God, what is the deal? Are you in control of this? Why is this happening? Let's read Psalm 93. It says this, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. Majesty, excuse me. The Lord is robed, enveloped in strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. Your throne has been established from the beginning. You are from eternity. The floods have lifted up, Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves. Greater than the roar of a huge torrent, the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is majestic. Lord, your testimonies are completely reliable. Holiness adorns your house for all the days to come. This is God's inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient word. Let's pray. Fathers, we think about your word this morning and we consider the fact that you reign. You're robed and enveloped in strength. And especially as we think about the fact that your testimonies, as verse 5 says, are completely reliable. God, may we put our hope in the truth of these testimonies where your word testifies about who you are and tells us who you are, the God who reigns, the God who is sovereign over all things. Lord, help us to understand your word, not just with our head, but with our heart this morning. May you convict us where we need conviction. May you encourage us where we need encouragement. And above all, may you be glorified as your word is proclaimed. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our main idea this morning is very simple, very straightforward. It's this, that the Lord reigns in the past, he reigns in the present, and he reigns in the future. So he reigns in the past, the present, and the future. Our first two verses, one and two, show us how God has reigned from the past. It says that the Lord reigns in verse one. It's a pretty simple concept. He reigns. This means that he rules over something. But what does he rule over? Well, everything, as we see in verse two. He reigns. He's robed in majesty. Majesty. I'm struggling with that word today. Majesty. He's enveloped in strength. So he talks about just the fact that he is majestic. He reigns over all things. We talk about majesty. It's an interesting thing because it's really talking about someone who, you know, beauty is one of those words that maybe, for me, I say, is that a, is that a good word to, to talk about the Lord with, that he's beautiful? Yeah, maybe. Um, another one, though, to talk about this is just the word awesome, that God is awesome to see. And I think sometimes we miss the reality of the word awesome because everything's awesome, right? And I, you probably have talked to me and I say, you say, hey, you know, I went to I don't know, someplace for the first time, Rocky's Hot Chicken in Asheville. And I was like, man, that place is awesome, you know? And you're like, yeah, it is awesome. And we talk about awesome like that. But awesome means something more than, than just that, right? Awesome has this idea 
of something that makes you stand in awe of it, right? I had a, a mentor of mine who encouraged me. He said, Ethan, he said, try not to say awesome so much. And I said, why? Because it sounds like, you know, like a teenager or something dorky. He's like, no. He said, because are you really in awe by, in awe by that thing? I said, not really. He says, have you ever, ever really been in awe by anything? And I was like, maybe the Grand Canyon when I saw it in person one time. Our God, though, he is awesome. He is majestic. He is one where if we were to look on him and be able to look at him, we would go, if we could even speak, whoa. And this is our God. He reigns over everything. The rest of verse 1 says, The world is firmly established, and it cannot be shaken. So we have this change all of a sudden from God and how he's majestic to the world. The idea is this. This is his world. This is the place that he is ruling and reigning over. And for him, if he is... If he is sovereign over it, if he's unchanging, then so is his world. It's established firmly from its very beginning. It's not going anywhere. No matter if you feel like this world is falling apart, and maybe this morning you do feel like this world is falling apart, whatever situation you're going through, you say, my world, I don't know what's going to happen. I may get out of here and get a phone call, and this person who I love has passed away because they're deathly ill right now. You say, I don't know what's going to happen this week whenever I go to this appointment to find out, is it cancer? I don't know what's going to happen this week. Um, who knows? Fill in the blank. But for you, you feel like your world is about to fall apart. But the psalm here says that this world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. The reality of this world is tied to the God who reigns over it. Now we know our world is temporary, and one day God will say, enough. I'm going to remake it without sin. But until that day comes... It is unchanging. It is firmly established, and it cannot be shaken. Verse 2 says, Your throne has been established from the beginning, and you are from eternity. Our God is not some king who goes in and has some fight to usurp the throne from the past king. If you've ever read First and Second Kings in the Bible, you see all the times where as sin comes into Israel, these kings, they, do, they, they sin and they worship these false gods, and then something happens and some other king from some other family comes in and assassinates them, or they die in battle, and someone usurps the throne. And that's how they get the throne. Our God is not one who had to fight someone to get the throne. Satan, though he opposes God, is not on the same level as God. And we act like this sometimes, that there's kind of this, this even thing happening. One day God's just going to barely get the upper hand and finish it. That's not the case. See, our God, his throne has been established from the beginning. Before anyone else, he was there. And he established his throne there. He is the uncontested ruler over the entire universe. So because it never began, his rulership never began, it always has been. It means that he also will never stop being ruler over all of the world. Now this gives us hope, because for some of us, when we think about the fact that God, wow, you've been holding everything together for all of these thousands of years, what hope that gives us for the present? That he has been so good in the past, so faithful in the past, that now in our present moment, if you've been faithful for that long, surely you'll be faithful right now. Verses 3 and 4 show us this, that the Lord reigns in the present. So we see here, 3 and 4, these verses that I talked to the kids about already. They say this, The floods have lifted up, Lord. The floods have lifted up 
their voice. That's a bit of repetition. Remember, they sang these, right? We well, just read them. We hardly ever sing psalms, but they sang them. And so this could just be where they're singing the line again, repeating that line to give you some emphasis. The floods, the waters, they've lifted up their voice. They've lifted up their pounding waves. Greater than the roar of a huge torrent, the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is majestic. There's these waters, and, and we could take these one of two ways, okay? And I, I've talked about this before, but I always like to drop this in so we know how to talk about this. People talk about reading the Bible literally and reading the Bible figuratively, okay? There are folks who say that the Bible should be read figuratively and that most of it didn't happen literally, okay? That's not what we believe. We believe the Bible is literal. That being said, does that mean that every single poetic thing that is said is taken literally? Not necessarily. Things are literally figurative at times. And we have to understand that and grasp that we can take this literally that God reigns over earth, over the waters. And so for us, we're going to consider these both literally that he is reigning over creation and the, like, the literal waters of the sea, but also figuratively these things these waters that come up against God and come up against us as people. So the literal of this, the floods have lifted up their voices. We've talked about this already with the kids, but right now in Louisiana, there are people who the flood waters are rising. As, as I guess Tropical Storm now, Barry, is going up the Mississippi River. The Mississippi River is rising. These levees are failing. The waters are lifting up. The pounding waves are coming up. These huge torrents, these mighty breakers are happening there in Louisiana. The waves roar, and even so, God is sovereign over it. We see this in the Gospels, in a couple of places in the Gospels, where Jesus, when he is out on, out on the boat with his disciples and a storm comes up, he goes in with the word of his voice. He says, peace, be still. We know our God has power over this. But maybe for you this morning, you're not in Louisiana, and you're not, right, because you're here in North Carolina. And for you, you're like, well, you know, it floods here sometimes, but not a whole lot. What does this mean for me? Understand this, that for us, a lot of times we have the floods of this life come up against us. We feel like we're about to get swept underneath the current. Amen? It's interesting because for so many in the Old Testament... The way they talked about water was this idea of chaos. They would talk about water, and water carried this, this mystery, this chaoticness, because at the end of the day, it's very hard to control water, right? Water can do some amazing damage. Water can pick up a car that's a few tons and carry it away. It is chaotic. And for us, when we think about the chaos that we're going through, it's easy to relate this to the floods of this life. Whatever it is, whether it's the, the floodwaters happening in Louisiana, whether it's the, the things that are gonna, you feel like are going to bowl you over right now in this life, it's all of a result of sin, of the fall. See, nature right now is groaning, Paul says in Romans, waiting for the day that God's going to set everything straight. Nature doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It doesn't glorify God by being calm and peaceful all the time. Sin has caused bad things like hurricanes to happen. And on top of that, we now have to deal with enemies. We have to deal with the struggles of this life. And from the fall comes these things. 
Whatever it is that you're going through, though, understand this. The Lord on high, at the end of verse 4, is majestic. Now, it's an interesting choice of words they used here. Some translations go with the word mighty, and I think that might be a more helpful way of translating this here. See, our God, in spite of all these things, in spite of, if you think about how much water fills up the ocean, I mean, just think about that for a minute. You know how much water is like in Lake James, if you ever go there and you usually think about, like, I wonder how many gallons are in this. I've never, I don't have a number for you. This illustration just came to me just now. And you think about that and you think about, man, how much water is in the entire ocean? If that formed into one big wave to bowl us over, how, what kind of trouble would we be in? And our God is mightier than that. Church, there are things right now that are making you feel like you're about to be swept away under the great flood of sickness, under the great flood of your financial situation, under the great flood of my children are living lives that are not glorifying God. My children do not love the Lord. They've not sought Christ, sought salvation in Christ, whatever it is. And you feel like it's going to bowl you over. Whatever they are this morning, I encourage you, give them to the Lord. And trust that right now, in this moment, in the present, we see this because he's been reigning and ruling over all things in the past, that he is now reigning and ruling over that situation right now in the present. Because he reigns in the past and he reigns in the present, we see that he reigns, verse 5, in the future. He will reign one day. All these effects of the fall that come, whenever Adam and Eve sinned and sin enters the world, and all the struggles of this life enter into this world, the greatest of all those things is death, right? So, yeah, it's hard to like grow things now, right? That's part of the curse, okay? That there's futility in the work that we do. That's hard, but it's not ultimate. Sure, there's struggles between husbands and wives now, and that, that's part of the curse too. Yeah, that's hard, but it's not ultimate. There's pain in childbearing now. That's part of the curse, but it's not ultimate. But see, there is some great bringer of chaos that's greater than all of the chaos we may see in little ways in this world, and that is death. There's a death that comes from the fall, and it's spiritual death. And it's a spiritual death and a physical death all wrapped up in one. Because the fall happened, now you and I are going to die one day. Okay? We're going to die one day. But on top of that, we've been separated from God because of sin. And without Christ, we're going to be separated from Him for eternity. See, the fall brings death. But here's what 1 Corinthians 15, 24-28 says. Then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father. So this is speaking of Jesus here. Jesus one day is going to hand over the kingdom to God the Father when he abolishes all rule and authority and power. He's talking about all the rule and authority of power that other folks have that aren't him, right? There are kings and presidents and governors and folks who have authority and rule and power on this world right now. But one day, he's going to say, I have all authority. I have all power in a way that is undisputed. Verse 25, for he must reign until he puts all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who put everything under him is the exception, saying that God the Father will not be put under Christ. 
When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all in all. That's a lot, right? We could have a whole sermon on that text. But our point this morning is just this. One day, when all of this is over, when this world is done and God's going to remake it again, he's going to say, listen, all of you think you're in charge of things, but you're not. That authority is mine. That rule is mine. That power is mine. And he's going to hand over the kingdom to the Father, but this happens after all the enemies have been put under his feet. And the very last enemy to be put under the feet of Christ is death. We know that right now death still exists in this world. People die, right? People pass away. We celebrated the life of Miss Staten just this past Monday, not even a week ago. And we know whenever we see situations like that, times like that, that death still exists in the world. But one day, death will be no more. And not because death runs out of strength and power, because God takes that power from death. This is God's promise. This is what he's been promising from the beginning. And that's why verse 5 is so important here, because it says this, listen, Lord, your testimonies are completely reliable. God, what you say you're going to do, you are going to do. And God's promise that death is going to lose its power started way back in the beginning, way back in the garden. At the time of the fall, as God's doling out curses, he says, but one's going to come. He's going to crush the head of the serpent, though his heel will be bruised. That's the beginning of the promise that God is sending someone to deal with this curse, to deal with this problem that is death and separation from God. And that promise becomes more and more full over time until it stretches out through the entirety of the Old Testament and New Testament. And these are God's testimonies, His promises that I'm going to fix things. I'm going to make things right. I'm going to take all the sin. I'm not just going to fix the floodwaters that are talked about in verses 4 and 5, but the sin and the brokenness that undergird those things, that cause those things to happen. I'm going to deal with that forever. God's testimonies are completely reliable. And it says, holiness adorns your house for all the days to come. All of a sudden, it's talking about God's house. So where in the world did this come from, right? Because we're talking about God being raining and waters and all this stuff. All of a sudden, it talks about his house. What do you mean your house, Lord? What's the point here? Without going into too much detail for the sake of time, I'm going to help us understand this for just real quick. He promises that holiness will adorn his house for all the days to come. Now, can a building be holy in some sense? Holiness has this idea of being set apart for some special use. Is there a sense where this building is holy? In some sense, right? This has been set apart for special use, right? Set apart for God's people to get together and worship Him in. Now, is this thing objectively on its own holy? Not apart from its use, right? If we said we're not going to meet here in this building anymore, it's not really set apart for anything special. When we talk about the fact that holiness adorns God's house, we're talking about an actual like righteousness, holiness is going to adorn the house of God. But this isn't the house of God in the physical sense. And I think I've talked about this before when I preached last summer about the Psalms of Ascent, when we did the summer in the Psalms. 
there we saw that it talks about the temple being built. But here's the deal. The temple has been destroyed. So what then is God's temple? And if you remember, we looked through the New Testament at a number of verses that helps us understand that God's temple is special because God's temple, at the end of the day, it's just a building, except for one fact. And one fact is this, that God's presence dwells there. That's what makes it more than just a pile of rocks. But today, that physical temple has been destroyed, but God has made his people here, you sitting here this morning, and every other Christian in the world right now, you are God's temple. You are the place where his presence resides through his Holy Spirit. And we are built together into the temple of God, into his house. He says, listen, holiness will adorn my house. The writer says, holiness, God, is going to adorn your house. It's going to be clothed in this holiness. But where does this holiness come from? Can we, church, achieve holiness on our own? Can I do enough good deeds to make myself holy? And the answer, of course, is no. Never. It would be foolishness to say so. Our holiness comes from one place, and that is Christ and his death on the cross, where he substitutes himself. Because because of the fall, remember, death is coming for us. He says, you know what? You don't have to die. I will die in your place. And remember, there's more than that. Because I believe we talked about the great exchange before. God made Christ in no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so there at the cross, not only does he take our sin and he dies and pays the penalty for it, but he gives us his righteousness, his holiness, his perfect record. And it's attributed to us, and God looks at us and says, look at you, you have the perfect record of my son. See, in all of this, God reigns, and what he's telling us is he reigns. is not just saying, hey, look how awesome I am as I reign. And he could, because he has the right to do that, because he's God. If he wanted to say, hey, look at me and look how awesome I am, he has every right to do that. But there's a point to this beyond that. His point is this. I am reigning, and you, as my people, have the hope of holiness one day. I don't just reign for my own sake, though much that God does is for his own sake, and he is allowed to do that but it goes beyond his own sake and his own glory. He says, I'm going to reign in the future. I've reigned in the past. I'm reigning in the present. And in the future, for all the days to come, that's the idea of the future here, for all the days to come, holiness adorns my house. I am setting things right. You see the reality of the fall and all the things that go wrong in this world and in your life. But I am setting things right by giving my people my temple, my house, the folks who make up my people, holiness. And God is doing that, and we will see the realization of it in the future. He makes sure that for all the days to come in the future, His people will be saved. And He can do this because He is mightier than death. He is mightier than the waves. He is mightier than the sin that undergirds all of that. Because that death and that sin and that destruction and that chaos cannot stand up to his majesty. So Christian, if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, maybe for you, you have forgotten that this is your reality, that this is your hope, that God reigns over all these things in the past and in the present and even to the future. And you say, God, I don't know if I can make it to the end of this life. Understand something. And this is one of our VBS lessons when I saw about the idea of what we call perseverance, endurance making it to the end of the Christian life. 
for us, we can, we know we can make it to the end of the Christian life because God's testimonies are reliable. His promises are true when he says that he will get us there. He promises that he will give us holiness. He promises that he will help us continue on for all the days to come. And he is true. How will you live differently, though, if you really believe that God is completely and totally in control of whatever is happening in your life? Whatever it is that's causing you to doubt, is God really good? Whatever it is that's causing you to doubt and say, do I really want to continue in the Christian life? Whatever it is that's making you say, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I'm about to get swept over, bowled over by this thing. He is completely and totally in control and sovereign over that. But maybe you've forgotten, as I often forget. But Christian, you should live differently in spite of that. Now, if you're here and you're an unbeliever, you're someone who you haven't come to believe in Jesus, maybe you're skeptical of him, I don't even know if God exists or Jesus is a real person, or you say, I don't really know what God wants from me or how he wants me to live, understand this. He is sovereign over all things. He rules over all things. He has the right to say what happens to all things. And that's including you. That includes you. My hope and my prayer is that for you, you understand that death is coming one day, that you cannot escape it. But there is hope. There is holiness that he can give to you, a holiness that you can't achieve on your own. And that that comes from Christ's death on the cross. And you can, you can take part in that by simply repenting of your sins and submitting yourself to him, believing in Christ and saying, I want you to be my king, to be the one who rules over me, to be the one who tells me what to do and how to live, and to understand that that's not something that's this burdensome, legalistic thing, but it's joy that he would say, say this is how you can live in a way that pleases me. Understand this morning, our God reigns. He always has reigned. He is reigning now. And he always will reign over all things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider this reality, our prayer is that you would help us understand it better. Would help us understand that whatever it is we're going through, we can bring it to you. And if we've been struggling to bring it to you, if we have just in our own pride maybe tried to deal with it on our own, or we've just not trusted you, Lord, we ask that you would help us to trust you, help us to repent of that lack of faith in you. And Lord, for the one who is here this morning and who is hearing that you reign and rule over them, but who hasn't submitted themselves to you, They've tried to make themselves holy on their own, tried to make themselves right with you on their own. Which help them understand that only the only way to become part of God's family, the only way to become right with you, is to trust in Christ and to what He has done for them on the cross. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.